Good morning and welcome both to those of you who are in the room and also to those of you who are online. Today we are going to worship our unchanging God who reigns as king. And the Psalms call us to worship this God. They say, the Lord reigns, let the earth be glad. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. Let's stand and worship.
may be seated. Hear the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 18. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we praise you that you invite us to treasure you above all things and to follow you. Father, we confess that we seek our satisfaction in so many things other than you, not just money, but all kinds of riches. We follow the world instead of following you. And Father, we praise you that what is impossible with man is possible with you, that even when we were still sinners, through Christ you saved us and began a work of changing our hearts to be willing to be found in Christ alone to treasure him above all, and to follow you alone. And we give ourselves to that today. We praise you as our King. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. It's so great to worship with you today. I'm Michael, and I serve with our creative team. I wanted to give you an update on our senior pastor search. Since Pastor Rob announced his retirement earlier this year, a volunteer search committee and search coalition have been meeting with many of you and earnestly praying and seeking God's will for our next senior pastor. Recently, the job posting was made public on the Vanderbloemen website, our partner in the search process. While the search committee is not done in connecting with members of our church for their input, we want you to be praying for our next senior pastor and to share your thoughts with the committee. Here's some of the prayers being prayed for our next pastor by the search committee. My name is Christy Lucas. I serve in adult communities and children's ministries here at Wheaton Bible Church. My hope is that our love for each other and our faith in God would grow as we follow his leading to our new senior pastor. Hi, I'm Larry Robinson. My family and I have been members of Wheaton Bible Church for about 10 years. It is my hope that God will send us a pastor whose heart is grieved by the current brokenness of our nation and believes in the spirit of 2 Chronicles 7.14, that God has uniquely equipped the church 
to be facilitators of our nation's healing. That scripture reads, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. Me llamo Baruch Vergara y soy líder de voluntarios del Ministerio de la Tienda de Navidad de Iglesia del Pueblo. Mi deseo con este proceso de búsqueda de nuestro pastor principal es poder estar todos como congregaciones unidos en un mismo espíritu de humildad, de unidad y de reverencia ante Dios para poder escuchar su palabra, escuchar su guía y de esa forma poder elegir nuestro pastor principal en un futuro cercano. CareFest is this Saturday. The summer's flying by, and if you haven't yet signed up for a team, go do it right now. Take a listen to one of the projects we're working on this weekend. Good morning, Wheaton Bible Church. I'm Simone Halpin, the executive director of Naomi's House, and we are so excited again this year for CareFest. Naomi's House exists because every woman who has been commercially sexually exploited deserves a new start. And so for several years, Wheaton Bible Church has partnered with Naomi's House on CareFest to help us in the yard. If you partner with Naomi's House, you'll be doing projects throughout the yard that help make this a sanctuary for the women who live here. There's still time to sign up, so go to wheatonbible.org slash carefest to find a project that works for you. And don't worry, COVID precautions are in place to create a safe serving environment. We are so excited to see you on August 8th. While your participation in CareFest is essential to making an impact in our community, having the materials and tools to complete projects is also essential. Each year we partner with local businesses to have supplies donated, but part of your giving also goes to support these projects. If you're able, would you take a moment right now to prayerfully consider giving or setting up a recurring gift to support ministry through Wheaton Bible? You can easily do this by visiting our website, wheatonbible.org or mailing a check to the church office. Thank you for being a partner in ministry here. That's all for today. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week. Good morning, familia. Before we do the pastoral prayer, I have just a quick announcement for you to add something to the announcements that we just heard. Um, uh, as you know, one of the ordinances that the Bible gives us is, to, is for us to celebrate communion or the last supper as, as it is known in the Bible. Uh, we believe that that's important for various reasons, but one of the main reasons why this is important is because when we participate in communion, not only we are experiencing communion with Christ, but we also experience in communion with one another. This is one of the ways in which the Bible shows us that God shows and extends his grace to us uh, time and time again. Because of that, I just wanted to announce that next week we're going to be uh, celebrating communion. Uh, so I want to give you uh, some instructions for you guys to prep yourself for it. Uh, whether you're going to be here or you're going to be at home, worshiping at home, um, we want to invite you to all get prepared for communion next week. So for those of you that are at home, and you're going to stay at home, worshiping at home next week, um, this is what I want you to do. This is my invitation to you. You might want to find uh, some sort of grape juice or something similar to that. You might want to try to get some, uh, some sort of dry bread, uh, crackers or French bread or whatever bread you may like. Just, this is not, it is a feast, just don't, don't overdo it. 
Um, and what I want you to do is then use small cups at home, break the bread into smaller pieces, and uh, just wait for, for the rest of us to worship as we worship and we celebrate communion together. Now, for those of you that are going to be here in the sanctuary next week, um, you're going to receive a cup that is safely secure with the juice and the bread next week as you come in through the doors. So we, nobody else is going to touch that but you, and we're going to celebrate together. We're going to give you instruction how to do it. Uh, I'm so looking forward to that next week. So I want you to uh, get ready for that. I want you to pray for that, because I think that that's one of the things that the Lord gave us for us to experience uh, his presence, his love, and his grace. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the evidences of your grace. We thank you, Lord, because you, have, you are giving us the opportunity to participate in what you are doing in this, in your kingdom. As we, as we just heard, Lord, we, we are in, in search of our next senior pastor. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you give us the pastor that he's going to best serve this church for your glory and the well-being of this congregation. Lord, we have no need uh, to fear, no reason to be scared of anything, because you are sovereign, you work providential, providentially, and you are good. You care about this church much more than what we care for it. Therefore, Lord, we are trusting that you're going to bring to us the next senior pastor. And in that, we want to rest. Please make it happen. We also want to pray, Lord, in the midst of everything that we're going through for our brothers and sisters that are struggling for uh, various reasons, Lord, for the ones that have been uh, victims of this uh, pandemic, Lord, for those uh, of us that have lost our jobs and, are, and find ourselves with uh, financial situations, Lord. For those of us that are living in isolation, not being able to have relationships with other people, so many different reasons, Lord, why this season is a hard season. But in the midst of all of these, Lord, we remember that you are always present, that you are always with us, and that you are always in control. Please, Lord, give us a fresh picture and a clearer understanding during this season of who you are and what you do. Lord, we want to pray also, Lord, for um, our generous congregation, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you continue to use the offerings, Lord, that we have for the glory of your name, uh, for the joy of your people, and for us to continue to reach people for Jesus. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And we all say... We have sung songs today about how Jesus is king, and this is good news for us. If we're honest with ourselves, with each other, we do not always put God on the throne of our hearts, treat him as king. We don't always offer ourselves to be used um, as we ask God to make his kingdom come in this earth. I praise God that through Jesus, however, while we're still sinners, he invites us to be transformed into people who treat him as king, who put him on the throne of our own hearts. And I want to encourage us to do that today, to let God be God in whatever circumstances we're in, to seek his kingdom first above all, and to allow him to transform our hearts into hearts that treasure Jesus above all things. Let's receive the treasure of Jesus today and all that he's done for us 
at the cross and uniting us to himself. Let's stand and sing.
Good morning, familia. That was depressing. Come on, I know it's just a few of us, but you can do better than that. Good morning, familia. There you go. What a pleasure to be here with you today. Uh, My name is Hannibal Rodriguez. For those of you that don't know me, I'm just one of the teaching. I'm just one of the teaching pastors here at church, and I want to welcome you to the church again. If you are here, uh, or if you are joining us online, I just want you to know that we love that you're part of our church. Uh, If you're visiting for the first time, I want you to know that we are here to love you and serve you. We are here to do anything we can uh, for you. If you are part of one of our campuses or one of our services, I know that this is a traditional service, uh, but more people from other locations also join us online. So if you're part of TVC, if you're part of IDP, if you're part of our contemporary service and you happen to be tuning in this morning, I just wanna welcome you, we love you. Oh, now the last time I preached, I uh, was given the topic of justice. Today, I got to talk about wealth. So it seems like if somebody wants me to lose friends. Um, Those are really hard topics to talk about, not because they're hard, but because they're sensitive topics. On the other hand, Because I trust in the sovereignty of God, and I know that he makes no mistakes. The reason why I'm preaching this sermon today is because he wanted me to preach this sermon today. So with that in mind, could you please pray with me? Lord, I I come before you acknowledging that even when topics are difficult, as long as they are biblical, we should be okay. 
And I pray, Lord, that you give us uh, minds to understand and a heart to receive and conviction to believe. Because at the end of the day, whatever the word says is what we need. Correct our thinking, change our affections, transform our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the church says, all right, wealth by definition. um, Actually, let me start by giving you a definition of wealth. Because I think that people have different opinions of what that means. Wealth by definition, according to the book of Proverbs, which is the book that we have been studying, um, has to do with having an abundance of material possessions. It has to do with having more than what we actually need. When the book of Proverbs talks about the concept of wealth, it's talking about us having more than what we need. And by that standard, I would say that probably everyone that is here and everyone that is listening to this sermon online most likely are wealthy. You might not be rich, per se, but you are wealthy. So if you have a TV at home, most likely you are wealthy. If you are not starving, if you have enough food every day and you have enough money to, let's say, go out and eat, most likely you are wealthy. Now, the reason why we got to talk about this is not only because we, to a certain degree, in this part of the world, we experience the blessing of wealth, and I'll explain in a second why I use that word, right? But uh, we also need to talk about this because wealth is one of those things that if we don't treat it right and we we don't use it right, it's a good thing that becomes a selfish thing. It's a good thing that becomes an egocentric thing. It's a good thing that uh, could become something that is dangerous to our souls. This is part of the reason why we got to talk about this. And the way I'm going to approach this topic is under three uh, subtitles. We're going to talk about the goodness of wealth, the dangers of wealth, and the secret of wealth. The goodness, the danger, and the secret of wealth. Let's go with the first point, the goodness of wealth. Um, so <clears throat> I, I, you know what, before I do this, let me come back over here. Um, let, let, me, let, let me explain the reason why we got to start with the definition of good, of goodness of wealth. My conviction has been that um, for the last two decades, Christianity has suffered from something uh, that is a, a, a corrupted view of wealth. And this is not just in the United States, but all over the world. For, for the last two decades, we have seen two extremes when it comes to wealth, two theological, wrong theological positions about wealth and description of what the Bible says about money and material things. On one end, we have what is called the prosperity gospel, uh, and on the other end, we have something that is called the poverty gospel. It's two extremes um, in which people think that they're getting this information from the Bible, but in my opinion, and as I'm going to show it to you in a second, it's a distortion of what the Bible says. So for those of you that are familiar with the prosperity gospel, you might know that prosperity gospel, what they say is that um, wealth, all kinds of wealth, is the sign, is the sign of God's blessings. In other words, that if you want to know that God is for you and is blessing you, you must have, go- you must have wealth, money and material possessions. Actually, this group of people, these proponents of the prosperity gospel, they believe that all Christians supposed to have material 
possessions. That all Christians are supposed to have money. There are so many different problems with that approach to begin with. There are so many different examples in the Bible in which God calls people to renounce material prosperity. Many examples in the Bible in which God tells people to surrender their wealth for their own good. So that denies what prosperity gospel is saying. There are other examples in the Bible in which God considers the blessed or the blessed people the ones that are in need, the ones that lack things. There are other examples in the Bible in which um, prosperity, material good, and wealth, and wealth, it feels and it seems more like a curse than a blessing. That's why I think, uh, and it is my opinion, that the worst, one of the worst and most dangerous theological heresies in modern times is the prosperity gospel. Actually, if you have heard me preach before and you know me for a while, I don't think I'm an aggressive guy from the pulpit. But if there's one thing that I hate with all my heart, it's the prosperity gospel. And the reason why I could say that is because I have seen the effect of that in the Christian heart. I have seen what the prosperity gospel could do to people that really love Jesus. Let me give you some reasons. Let me give you, explain why is it that I'm saying this. Is when people believe this lie of the prosperity gospel, if they are not wealthy, if they don't have wealth, then for some reason they feel that God is against them. That's dangerous. Actually, I think this is dangerous because even when people give and they practice generosity, they're not doing it because it's a good thing and it's a biblical thing, but they're doing it because somebody told them that if they give, they could buy God's blessings. And as you're going to see in a second, God's blessings are always free. We don't work for them. They're given to us by grace. This is a group of people that have believed the lie that if I give, God must give me. It's almost like if they're seeing God as a divine vending machine. Don't you think that's an issue? I've seen people that when they don't experience or have material prosperity, they actually feel that there's something wrong with them. Actually, what the gospel, the prosperity gospel people would say is, if you don't have money, if you don't have possessions, there must be something wrong with you. I, I, I think that that's one of the worst her heresies in the last 20 years. That's on one end. On the other end, though, we have what is called the, the poverty gospel, which is almost like a response to the prosperity gospel, but it's just as bad. Because this is the it's a contemporary form of Gnosticism in which this group of people devalues the true goodness of the material world. It's almost like if these people don't understand that in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God created things and he says, it is good. See, for this group of people, they believe that the more poor you are, the more spiritual you are. Actually, I've seen proponents of this in the last 10 years, especially younger uh, Christians, thinking that if you have less, that makes you more spiritual. Of course, there's a bunch of problems with that approach as well. The Bible shows us a good number of examples 
in which people had a lot of things, a lot of money, and yet they were devoted to the Lord. The Bible shows us examples of people that had wealth, but they used their wealth in the right way for the glory of God and for the sake of others. The Bible shows us that, um, that, that the poverty gospel is not the solution because the problem never has been things, never has been money, never has been the amount of things or the amount of money you have. The problem is always your heart. It's the lack of generosity. It's the lack of stewardship. It's selfishness. It's ambition. The problem is never outside of us. The problem is always inside of us. That will be something that the poverty gospel ignores. The prosperity gospel is not the solution, and the poverty gospel is not the solution. What is the solution then? So I want to invite you to consider that the book of Proverbs tells us that wealth is not the problem. That wealth is something good, created and given by God for God's purposes. And you can see that, for example, in chapter 8, verse 18, in which he says, with me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. Notice that he says that God is the one that gives money. God is the one that gives riches. God is the one that gives wealth. God is the one that gives prosperity. This is supporting what I just mentioned, that in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, before sin enters the world, God created material things for a good purpose. For the well-being of people, for the well-being of this creation, for the flourishing of people, and for the flourishing of others. I can show you, um, I, I could just prove my point here and say that material things, wealth, money, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that. Once again, the problem is the human heart. We tend to worship the gift instead of the giver. The things God gives instead of the God that gives us those things. This is what Joshua uh, Chatrod, you don't need to know who that is, but that's an author and a pastor. He says, we cannot love both God and wealth as ultimate, but we should enjoy his good gifts and pursue them in the right order and according to his calling. Let me say that again because that's not my thought. That's what is much better. Listen to this. We cannot love God, both God and wealth, as ultimate. But we should enjoy his good gifts and pursue them in the right order and according to his callings. Anything wrong with having things? No. Anything wrong to even pursuing, quote-unquote, pursuing wealth? Not necessarily. Is there anything wrong that you have things? No, that's why there's a commandment that says you should not covet. That means that you have the right to have your own things. But there's a very fine line between want and need. And this is the part where I think many of us, including the preacher today, we can get confused. There's a huge difference between need and want. The problem with us, and the problem with modern Christianity, if you will, is that everything is a need. Now, John Newton, famous writer of hymns, theologian, he said something um, years ago that the first time I heard it really clicked with me. And he would say, 
that we always struggle with this thing with mixing needs and wants, but he says this, um, God would always give you what you need. And if you pray for something and he doesn't give you what you're praying for, even though you're, you think it's a need, it is not a need. Let me say that again. What God gives you, that's what you need. What God does not give you, you don't need, even if you think you do. Now look at chapter 10, verse 22. The author calls wealth a blessing. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. Notice that it says that it is the Lord that brings wealth. And he calls it a blessing. Now these two concepts go together and it's important that we keep in mind because he tells you that a blessing by nature is something that you don't have to work for it. The Lord gives it to you. It's a gift. So, of course, the verse says that we're supposed to work. It says toil. But notice that it says that even if you work, it is the Lord, the one that gives wealth. It is a gift. This is the goodness of wealth because God gives it, because it is a blessing as long as we use it for the right purposes. Now, I got to tell you, when I was thinking about this, uh, there's so many diff different reasons why I love this church. Like, really, I really love this church. If not, I would not be here, I tell you that much. But one of the reasons why I love this church is because of the amount of people that we have in our congregation that really understands that wealth is a blessing and that wealth is a gift and that we are called to use it in the right way. So just in case you're visiting the church and maybe you're not familiar with, uh, with Bible Church, let me, um, let me give you some of the reasons why I think that we as a church, we tend to be a generous church. It is because we have a generous church that we can support about 90 missionaries around the world. Now, I'm not bragging about the church, but I am. It is by God's grace that he has given us people that really believe in the concept of generosity that we can support 90, about 90 missionaries in the rest of the world, right? It is because we got generous people in this church and understand that this is a blessing, that is good, and it's for God's purposes that we have Puente del Pueblo. This is the reason why we serve our community, and we have an after-school program, and we have summer school program, and we have a college program, and we have social work services, and ESL, and Spanish literacy. If you don't know what that is, is we're teaching Spanish here in the United States. And so on. This is the reason why we have this amazing, beautiful temple that I pray that one day we will see it feel full again. This is the reason why we have our ministries. Our life groups, our Bible studies, our support groups, men, women, children, and students. This is the reason. You probably don't know this, but I find this super cool, super cool. Once again, I'm not bragging about the church, but I am. You probably don't know this, but during this pandemic season, the Lord has granted us to use our benevolent funds, benevolent, uh, benevolence fund, to help all kinds of people. So between... Benevolence and community and partnering with community and our local partners and giving extra support to some missionaries um, and continue to support uh, our missionaries and continue to support Puente and everything that we have done. The last four months, I think that the church has given out about half a million dollars. And that is because we have people that are generous and really understand that wealth is good. It's not a curse. It is a blessing as long 
as we use it right. The prosperity gospel is not the solution. Poverty gospel is not the solution. The solution is for us to learn how to see what the Bible says about wealth, understand it, believe it, and practice it. But this is where it gets complicated. Because as much as the Bible talks about the blessings of wealth, and as much as the Bible talks about the good things of wealth, there are more verses in the Bible that talk about the danger of wealth than the blessings of wealth. There are more verses in the Bible that talk about the dangers of wealth than the blessings of wealth. The question is, why? So with this, I go to my second point, the dangers of wealth. And I, what I want to show you is that the book of Proverbs, there's more things here, but I, I only have time for four of these. What I want to show you is that the book of Proverbs says that there are four dangers, major dangers when it comes to wealth. If we don't use it right, if we don't understand what what uh, prosperity looks like. The four uh, dangers that we find is wealth has the potential to substitute God. That'll be one. Wealth has the potential to affect your character. That'll be two. Wealth has the potential to make you want to sacrifice people. That'll be number three. And wealth has the potential to want to make of your prosperity an idol. So let's go for the first one. Wealth has the potential to substitute God. Let me show you this verse right here. That'll be chapter 8, verse 19. My fruit, this is God is speaking, is better than fine gold, what I yield surpasses choice silver. Now, notice that it says that um, what God gives, the greatest blessings of God, pay attention to this, the greatest blessings of God are better than fine gold and choice silver. The, the greatest blessings of God cannot be compared to anything else he gives. The spiritual blessings of God. If you don't know what I mean by the spiritual blessings of God, let me tell you what the Bible says, what a spiritual blessing is a spiritual blessing is to know that you have been noticed by God. A spiritual blessing is to know that God was that loved you so much that He sent His Son to die for you. A spiritual blessing it is to know that you have been justified, you have been sanctified, you have been redeemed, you have been adopted, you have been loved, you have been accepted. Those are the spiritual blessings of God, the major spiritual blessings of God. Now, we can think also of, the, of spiritual blessings when we think about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, perseverance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are all spiritual blessings. And all of that and more is much better, much better than anything else God gives us. Better than money, better than your car, better than your house, better than your job, better than everything else. The spiritual blessings are always better than everything else. Our problem is that sometimes, unintentionally some people, unintentionally for some of the people, we elevate the material wealth over the spiritual wealth. That's the problem. That we worship the gift more than the giver. And at that moment, the gift substitutes God. Let me give you another verse. Chapter 30, verse 9. It says, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? 
You know what that means? That maybe you have a lot. That maybe you are wealthy. That maybe you have much more than what you actually need. But the tendency of the human heart is to say, I made it happen. It was my hard work. It was my abilities. It was my charisma. It was because I tried hard and I did hard. It was because I did everything that I needed to do that I have what I have. You know how foolish that is? Because if, you're, if you are a believer, you, do, you should know that everything you have and everything you are is because of the grace of God. As someone said it, someone that is struggling with this is someone that is struggling with pride. And you are ignoring the enormous numbers of factors outside your control that brought money to you. Let me prove my point. If you are wealthy, you got more than what you need. Most likely for so many people is because that's, that was part of your family. Guess what? You didn't choose your parents. Maybe part of it was because you, you were born in this country. Guess what? You didn't choose that. Maybe it's because you went to a good school. Guess what? That school the Lord gave you. Maybe it's because you had good relationships. Okay, guess what? The Lord gave you those relationships. Maybe, maybe, maybe just maybe it's because you actually have a bunch of skills and gifts and talents and all that stuff. Guess what? The Lord gave you that. There's nothing we have and there's nothing we are that is not a gift of God. That's why someone very wise a long time said, long time ago said, to see a man humble under the prosperity is the greatest rarity in the world. You know, can, you know that the only people that can actually have a lot and be completely humble are Christians. It is possible to have a lot and be humble because we know that everything we have is a gift of God. Wealth has a potential to substitute God. Wealth has a potential to affect your character. Look at chapter 13, verse 11. It says, dishonest money dwindles away. I want you to stop right there for a second because the word dishonest there in the Hebrew can literally be translated as money out of the air. And this is what the, what the proverb is saying. That when people are hungry to get money quick, their character is never built. Yeah, yeah, so I was talking to my daughters the other day. And you know, one of the most popular things right now to become rich is to become a YouTuber. Now, I'm assuming that all of you know what YouTube is. But one of my daughters tells me, you know what, I'm thinking that I'm probably going to become a YouTuber. And as a good father, I said, that's a terrible idea. Because the chance that you make it as a YouTuber is one in a million. But you know why it's so popular? Because if you do really dumb things or really interesting things, you become wealthy like this. That's, part of the same, that's kind of the same problem some athletes have. They're talented people. They become famous. They become wealthy like this. Money out of the air. You know what the problem is? That because you never develop character, this is important for us as parents to teach our kids, that if they never develop character, you know, whoever got, it says, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. 
is we don't teach our kids of, of, of the value of working hard and trying harder and saving and stewardship and all of that stuff. They never learn how to deal with money right. This is the reason why 60% of the NBA players go broke within five years after they, they retire. Within five years. This is the reason why 78% of the NFL players experience financial distress, distress two years after retirement. Two years. Well, has the potential to corrupt your character. Here's another verse, chapter 11, verse uh, 1. The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weight finds favor with him. And this is what he says. That the love of money and the love of things has the potential to make you want to compromise integrity. Let's say you are business owners, is to do crooked things. Maybe not give your employees what, you, what they're supposed to have. Maybe it's cheating on your taxes. Maybe for the rest of us, it's saying that we're working while we're not working. You know, wealth is dangerous because it has the potential to affect your character. Wealth has the potential to make you want to sacrifice relationships. I mean, in my opinion, this is one of the most popular and common ones among Christians. I'm not even talking to non-Christians. I'm talking to believers. Look at chapter 17, verse 1. Look what it says, better a dry crust with peace than a, and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Now, you really got to think about this one, but this is the, the gist of it. It is better for you to have good relationships at home and with your neighbors and at work to experience peace and quiet in terms of relationships than to have a, than to have a feast. I've said this I don't know how many times since I became a preacher for WBC, but I said this at least five times, and I will continue to say it as long as I get to preach. I am yet to meet a person that at the end of their days, they say, man, I wish I had more. Man, I wish I would have worked harder and have a bigger house and have a bigger car and have bigger things and go to school longer. I'm yet to meet a person like that at the end of their life. You know what I've heard? I wish I had more time with the people I love. I believe that some of us are waiting for us to get there, to understand that money and prosperity is always second to people. People first. Wealth has the potential to make you want to sacrifice the people you love. That's what is dangerous. Wealth has the potential to turn money and material things into an idol. Chapter 10, verse 15, it says, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. This is a super interesting verse because uh, back in the days in ancient times, the cities were protected by this humongous wall that went around the city, right? And the taller the wall, the more secure people felt. The taller the wall, people, the more secure people felt. And with the book of Proverbs, is saying that wealth functions like that. That it makes you think that the more you have, the more you have, the more secure you are. 
This is part of the reason why some of us think that if we have more and we work more and we accumulate more, the more, the more secure we're going to be in the future. Your future is in the hands of God. I think that during this season, we have been reminded of that. Today we have, tomorrow we don't. This is what is interesting. When, when wealth becomes an idol, when you find your security in wealth, then you start imagining things. That's what chapter 18, verse 11 says. The wealth of the rich is the fortified city. Notice that it says the same thing. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. You imagine that you are secure. You imagine that if you buy the things that you could buy, you're going to be secure. You imagine that as long as you have, you are okay. You know what's interesting about this? That not only we make of money and, um, and material possessions an idol, but what we do with our money also reveals our other idols. This is what an author says. What your heart most loves and adores, what it, what it most rests in is where you most effortlessly, effortlessly, joyfully, almost addictively spend your money. So if you want to know where your heart is, follow your wallet or your purse or your Apple Pay. So, for example, if you have no issues spending money in, in saving money in the bank, that's because you think that if you have a lot of money in your bank, you're going to be okay. That's an idol. Let's say that you use your money to buy clothing and making yourself look attractive and whatever, sophisticated. That's because your idol is that you need people's approvals and admiration. If you have no money spending money, let's say, in a membership or in a club because that gives you status and power, that's your idol. Follow your money, money, and you will know where your heart is. Listen, there is goodness in wealth. It is a gift of God. But at the same time, it is dangerous because he has the potential to substitute God, to corrupt your character, to make you want to sacrifice people, and he has the potential to become an idol. So the question is, how do we find the balance? And the answer is going to be really quick. Point number three, the secret of wealth. I want to propose to you that the book of Proverbs gives us three solutions, three spiritual practices that we ought to have. We, we got to learn how to practice generosity. So for those of you that are already generous, just hear me out. We got to learn how to honor the Lord with our wealth, and we have to learn how to welcome simplicity. This is what I mean by this. Look at becoming generous. Uh, chapter 11, verse 24. It says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes uh, to poverty. And if you notice, this verse is talking about the principle of scattering and gathering. And if you know anything about farming, you know this. That the more you put out there, the more you receive. This is what is interesting, though. That that receiving is considered a blessing. Chapter 22, verse 9. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. And this is extremely important for you to understand. When we give and when we are generous, the blessing doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get more of what you give. 
The blessing is that you get to see what you're giving does. Did you catch that? The blessing is that you get to see what you're giving does. So I was thinking about this this week, um, just, just so you know. All right, so Iglesia del Pueblo, the Spanish-speaking group here in the church, has been here for 30 years. So we're going to have this big old celebration with mariachi and everything in October. So get ready for it. We're waiting for October because, you know, COVID is going to be gone and we're going to be able to dance. But this is the idea. We have been here 30 years. And Iglesia has been an immigrant church. Meaning that we don't have all the resources that non-immigrants have. And even though we have a ton of generous people in the Spanish-speaking group, part of the blessing has been that we are united as one body, one church, with an English-speaking church, an American church. So it is the combination of the generosity of Latinos with the generosity of Americans that has allowed the church to grow and flourish. Now, this is what I want you to see because I was thinking about this one. You know, we have been following people, uh, following our services online, and we have followed, we have more people following Iglesia del Pueblo outside the United States than inside of the United States. Ain't that crazy? I haven't used that phrase in a long time. Now, hold on, hold on, hold it, hold it. That means that your generosity is affecting literally different parts of the world right now. Now you can clap. And it is the same thing that we have with our missionaries. And it is the same thing that we have with Puente del Pueblo. And it is the same thing that we have with our ministries. Every dollar you give, it's a blessing because the Lord is using it for his glory and the good of other people. That's the blessing. Now, we're not only called to uh, practice generosity, but we are called to honor the Lord. Oh, come back. Honor the Lord with our wealth, with the first fruit of our crops. Now, this is where people get uncomfortable because obviously this is talking about tithing and give the 10%. Guess what? I'm going to give you freedom from that one. Listen, you're not supposed to give 10%. If you read the New Testament, if you read only the Old Testament. The Old Testament calls you to give 10%, but if you actually read it more, you realize that you have to give, if you follow the Old Testament, like another 13%, like 23 to 27% of your income. Now, this is good news. The New Testament doesn't talk about 10%, meaning that you are free not to give 10%. Now, hear me out. The New Testament talks about generosity. It means that you give until you have to trust him. So if you have enough, 10% is not generosity, people. If you don't have enough, 10% is very generous. The principle is this. Giving is an act of worship. And you give until you have to trust God not wealth. Look at how quiet this God. Giving is an act of worship. It's honoring our Lord with our money. And we give until we learn how to trust him.
So for some of you, 5% is all you could give, and with that you trust the Lord. For some of you, it's 10%, and with that you trust the Lord. But something tells me that there's many of us in which 10% is not trusting the Lord. It's not generosity. Give to the church, give to the poor, give to different ministries. Give. Generosity, honor, and lastly, simplicity. And I find this one to be, uh, let me skip this one, uh, extremely important. Chapter 30, verse 8. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. This is a prayer. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. This is contentment. This is how we become free. When we learn that what we need is what we need. And everything extra the Lord gives us is to give away. The only way that we actually become like this is when we understand that the reason why God calls us to be generous is because we have a generous God. He chose you. He loved you. He sent his son for you. He was generous toward you before you even reacted to him. The reason why we become generous people is because we have a generous God. You don't need your security in money. Your security is Jesus Christ. He died and resurrected for you. You don't need to hold on to something because your God didn't hold on to anything. He gave it all for you. You don't need to try to control your life. God is in control. He died and resurrected in Jesus for you. The reason why we honor the Lord, the reason why we trust in simple things, the reason why we are content with what we have and we give away what we don't need is because God is a generous God. You are loved, you are secure, you don't need anything, there's nothing for you to gain, nothing for you to lose, because everything you have and everything you are is secure in Jesus Christ. And to that, the church says, let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you so much for the blessing, Lord, of being in a country that we experience wealth. It is, it was a gift of, it was a gift from you. We didn't work for this, we didn't look for this. And we thank you, Lord, because we're part of a church in which we have a lot of members that practice generosity faithfully. Yet, Lord, my prayer is that I, that I may never get comfortable with that. My prayer is that the church never gets comfortable with this. But that we become more and more radical givers, sacrificial givers. Because we know that the reason why you give us wealth is for the glory of your name, for our good, but also for the good of others. Please make it happen. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the church says.
As this world is passing by and I see them start to fall into Satan's fiery hall. When I think that but for grace I would feel the flames only So we, before we finish our service, I have a couple of things for you. Number one is, as you know, every week we gather as leaders of the church and we pray for your needs. So if you have a prayer, please let us know. You can text the word prayer to 630-260-1600. Uh, and, and I guarantee you that someone is going to be praying for your need this week. Second thing that I wanted you to know is that next week we're going to start a new uh, preaching series that is called Invincible Church. It's, it's, a, it's a series that I'm, I'm super excited about. We're going to be talking about the vision, the mission, the identity, and the purpose of the church. I know that during this season, it's hard to understand why is it that the church, for so many people, it's hard to understand why is it that church matters. But I want to invite you to see that if there's a season in which we need to be reminded of the importance of the church, it's this season. So please come, join us. Uh, reserve your spot. If not, join us online. I'm so looking forward for that uh, preaching series. Please pray for us as we continue to pray for it. Now, could you do me a favor? Can you please stand? Uh, we're going to receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us at the cross.
This is the blessing that we receive because we have a generous God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And the church says, thanks for coming. We love you. Have a blessed day. Thank you.